0: Hey, you know what? It's really fun to be here. Fierce. Fier <laughs> easy. No! This is why I'm seeing the thing I'm kidding me! Right, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, how are we doing, how are we doing, and welcome to episode number 35, the Reggie Lewis episode of the Banner Banter Podcast. I am your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. How's everyone doing? You can find me on the Twitter machine, at Banner Banter 18, or on Facebook and Instagram, at Banner Banter Podcast. Now, before we dive into what's going on with the Boston Celtics over the last week and the upcoming week for them, I just want to give a shout out to my Duke Blue Devils. They did just lose in the Elite Eight. To Michigan State it was a tough one but it was a pleasure watching Trey Jones and Cam Reddish R.J. Barrett even though he's from Canada and missed a free throw Ugh. and Zion Williamson wow what a great talent this entire Duke team was I this is probably one of the more fun Duke teams to watch for me over the last 26 or 27 years every game was exciting everyone was tuned in and I feel like this was one of the least hated Duke teams in a while because I feel like you really can't hate Zion Williamson. He's been like my third favorite Duke player to watch all time. JJ Reddick, Grant Hill, and then Zion. I'm not saying JJ Reddick is the best Duke player of all time. All I'm saying is I thoroughly enjoyed watching JJ Reddick play. But I think we can all agree that Grand Hill is the best Duke player of all time. Alright. But anyways, let's focus on the Boston Celtics. They are currently 45 and 32. They're four games behind the 76ers for the third seed. And they are currently tied for the Indiana Pacers for the fourth place position in the Eastern Conference. Now, why are they fourth? Well, because they won this past Friday night against Pacers, so they have the first tiebreaker, which is head-to-head, and then we play them this upcoming Friday, which if the Celtics win, that's another huge thing, and then if the Celtics lose, then there's a bunch of different NBA tiebreakers, which we will get into next week if needed, but Interesting little note here, the 76ers did announce that Joel Embiid is out for the next three games. He will not be part of the 76ers road trip due to knee tendonitis. So it'll be very interesting to see how the 76ers play without him on the road towards the end of the season. But let's focus on the Celtics schedule and the Pacers schedule, why the four seed is so important, etc, etc. So right now the Celtics will have Miami at home, Miami on the road, Pacers on the road, Magic at home and Wizards on the road to close out the season. The Heat are currently the 8th seed. They're half game up on the Orlando Magic. So, basically the Celtics have 5 games left and 4 of them are against playoff teams. Technically, you know, you could say the Magic are a playoff team because they are fighting for a playoff spot and the Wizards they're out of contention. So, the combined record of all of those teams that the Celtics are playing are 190 in 193 which is going to be the 13th toughest schedule remaining out of all the nba teams and then you have the pacers they have the pistons at home pistons on the road celtics at home nets at home and the hawks on the road to close out the season now pistons playoff team nets playoff team celtics playoff team hawks out of it so the pacers also have four games against playoff teams the pistons are currently half game up on the Brooklyn Nets, who the Celtics just lost to, for the sixth seed. Their combined record is 189 and 193, all those teams combined. So I think that's like the 14th. It's either the 14th or 15th toughest schedule left, according to tankathon.com in the NBA. Now, this is why the four seed is so important. Number one, the Pacers and Celtics both suck on the road. The Pacers are 17 and 22 on the road. Five games below 500. That's really bad and then the Celtics are 18 and 20 not ideal the Pacers are very 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 good at home 28 and 10 so far this season with four games remaining at home i i'm sorry three games remaining at home it's very good the Celtics are 27 and 12 at home you need home court the Pacers are really good you do not want to play a game 7 in the first round in Indiana you don't you just don't want to do it so I am going to be stressing over the next couple weeks why the four seed is so important for the Boston Celtics, okay? And that's why you need home court. The Players talk about it all the time. TD Garden's a great place to play. The playoff atmosphere around here is unbelievable. Then give us home court, at least in the first round, since you couldn't do it for the second, third, and most likely NBA Finals if the Celtics do get there. Now, before we get into everything else in the podcast, recap, stud and dud of the week, banner banter investigation, etc., etc., let's focus one last time on the draft pick situation. Grizzlies are currently in the eighth spot, and as I'm recording this, they are probably playing the LA Clippers in LA in about 20 to 25 minutes. They're a half game out of the nine seed. The nine seed, or well, I'm sorry, not the nine seed, the ninth worst record. And obviously that helps the Celtics' chances of getting a fourth first round pick this year. So again, very interesting. Currently, that ninth spot is owned by the Pelicans. And clearly they're not playing Anthony Davis a lot. So that could be a good thing for the Celtics. The Kings were officially eliminated from the playoffs. So. Obviously, no matter what, as long as the Kings keep losing, Celtics draft draft picks keep getting better, and they're currently in the 13th spot behind the Orlando Magic. And they're all, also only a game behind the Hornets and the Lakers. So if the Hornets go on a little bit of a run, I think the Hornets playing the the Warriors right now, the Lakers go on a little bit of a run, and the Kings kind of suck towards the end of the year, Celtics might have a top 10 pick. Who knows? Who knows? Just keep just keep an eye on it. Celtics then have the twenty-first overall pick and the Clippers pick because the Clippers clinched playoff spot. That was a lottery lottery protected pick. They have the 22nd pick. So if the Grizzlies do get the ninth pick, which would then go to the Celtics, you're looking at DeAndre Hunter from Virginia, Nazir Little from UNC, Grant Williams from I'm sorry, Nazir Little from UNC, Grant Williams from Tennessee, and then Trey Jones from Duke on one of the mock drafts that i saw so very interesting to see now now that all the draft picks ncaa tournament and standing talk is over let's let's switch it up and go into the stud and dud of the week right away let's go and now it is time for the celtics stud and the celtics dud of the week Okay, this week's Celtics stud and dud of the week, the stud, is Gordon Hayward. Yep, you're goddamn right. Every single game this past week, he has shot at least 57% or better from the field. 7 out of 12 against the Cavs. 4 out of 7 against the Pacers. 7 out of 12 again versus the Nets. Celtics are 16-3 when Gordon Hayward scores more than 15 points. Gordon Hayward's field goal percentage has also gone up every single month this season. Same with his usage rate. This is very important information for you to put into your dome piece, especially for all the Gordon Hayward haters out there, okay? Gordon Hayward is an important part to this playoff team. Should he be in the starting lineup? I don't think so. And we'll get into the Aaron Baines, Al Horford, Double Twin Tower starting lineup later on in the podcast. But, his performances in the playoffs should be key for the Celtics. If you can get Jalen Brown 20 points, excuse me, burped. If you can get Jalen Brown 20 points, Gordon Hayward 15, 16, 17 points off the bench, hopefully Terry Rozier finds his old playoff magic because he is suck this year. He comes and gets you 10 points. That's great point production from the bench, which not a lot of teams in the NBA have, especially a team like the 76ers, who really don't have a very deep bench. Okay, and here's the craziest part about Gordon Hayward and why he's so important in the playoffs. If the Celtics do end up being the five seed and they have to go on the road and play Indiana, who is, like I said, twenty-eight and ten at home, when Gordon Hayward scores fourteen or more points on the road, the Celtics are ten and one. Think about that folks. Ten and one when Gordon Hayward, an NBA veteran, scores more than fourteen points on on the road that is going to be vital for the Celtics in the playoffs 1000% you and you can't argue with me there you can't men lie women lie numbers don't thanks Jay-Z and by the way reps rest in peace to Nipsey Hussle who was shot and killed today I really liked his last album victory lap check it out it's pretty good anyways so Gordon Hayward he's your stud this week very consistent all week improving by the second and that's what this team needs and he even said after the Nets game you know He can see the floor better. He's really not happy with, like, his athleticism. He thought he would be, like, more, like, really like 100%. Like, Gordon Hayward still is not 100%. But he even admitted that there are times where some of his layups should be dunks, and he just hasn't gotten there. But, hey, if they want to get there in May, if the Celtics make it to the second round... Don't tempt me with a good time. I'm all for it. But for right now, it is what it is, and he's improving day by day, and we have to accept that and live with it, and I'm here for it. Now, the dud of the week is Brad Wanamaker. Why Why am I mentioning Brad Wanamaker since he really didn't play a lot this week? Well, let me tell you. Brad Wanamaker against the Nets on Saturday played a riveting 12 minutes and 54 seconds. Okay. So far in this podcast, it's been about 11 minutes or so, give or take. All right. So he has played, let's just say 90 seconds more than the length of this podcast so far. And he got six fouls and fouled out. How do you foul out off the bench in the third quarter after playing less than 13 minutes? That's literally having a foul every two minutes. Or if you, for those people who enjoy simple math, that is five full 24-second shot clock violations. At the end of each one, you get a foul. Are you for real? And he was having a great game too. He went 3-3 three three from the field. He was a plus 13. Terry Rogier started in the game because Kyrie didn't play, and Terry Rogier was a minus 27. So he was 40 points better than Terry Rogier, technically. But he fouled out in the third quarter playing less than 13 minutes in three quarters. That's insane. How do you even do that? Like, that's impressive. (laughs) Like, six fouls in 13 minutes. Like, Kelly Linux would see that and be like, not bad, my friend. I couldn't even do that, and I sucked. But it just absolutely unbelievable. So, Brad Watermaker is your dud this week, and Gordon Hayward is your stud. Now let's recap the Cavs, Pacers, and Nets games right now. The Celtics beat the Cavs 116-106 on Tuesday night after Jason Tatum. Remember what I said in episode 34? Maybe the Cavs game is where Jason Tatum can kind of get his groove back, you know, like Stella, you know, how Stella got her groove back. Was Whitney Houston in that movie, or did she just have a theme song for it? Anyways, rest in peace to Whitney Houston, but he, that's here and there, but Jason Tatum got his groove back, 21 points, 21 points, he was the leading scorer for the team, he looked great, he played great, and he wanted the basketball. He wanted to be the best player on the team, and that's something that you need to see from Jason Tatum because it did not show up against the Nets game, and I'll get into that in a second. Now, the best part about this Celtics game for me, and I know it's the Cavs, and I know the Cavs suck, and I know Tristan Thompson did terrible things to Khloe Kardashian. How could you? And Kevin Love's back, and Sexton's there, et cetera, et cetera, but they only allowed one quarter of 30 points or more. Mm-mm-mm. Love that. That's what you need, some defensive confidence. It was in the third quarter, and that's okay, but they only allowed 30 points in one quarter. So round of applause to the Boston Celtics for there. Now, one thing that I I found very interesting in this game is Brad Stevens changed the starting lineup. No Kyrie. Kyrie didn't play. And it was Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, and Aaron Baines. So Marcus Morris went to the bench. I'm okay with that. And Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, take notes. He took it like a veteran, didn't say anything about it. He nut up, he shut up, and he played basketball. That's what I love to see. Now, Morris's knees aren't that great. He had issues at the end of last year. He's playing a lot more minutes this year than he did last year. And if he wants to be the third scoring option off the bench, kind of like he's technically, I would say, like the fourth scoring option right now as the starter, I feel like if you were to put the ball in someone's hands would you want it to be Marcus Smart shooting a Marcus Morris you're going to choose Marcus Morris or at least I would right now stand by your man but I feel like Brown being the number one option Hayward being the number two option and then Marcus Morris being the number three option and then that takes so much pressure off of Terry Rogier since he's nowhere to be found this year I feel like that's a good thing for this basketball team now Another great thing about this Cavs game, because let's be honest, there really wasn't a lot to talk about. I mean, the Celtics went in, they should have won, they did win, simple as that. But Marcus Morris, I thought, I mean, Marcus Smart played, I I think, one of like his top five best games ever as a member of this Boston Celtics team. Just not like this season, but like ever. He was a plus 18, 8 of 14 from the field, six boards, four assists, three steals. To me, performances like that, that's worth your $12 million a year right there that contract that he signed this summer, it was just a great game. He was a true leader out on the court, running the offense, because sometimes Terry Rozier cannot do that. But I was very impressed with Marcus Smart that game. And I feel like Marcus Smart kind of needed a game like that because his shooting as of late has been eh, not not ideal. but it But it's been good enough, but it has to continue going into the playoffs. It really and truly does. But the biggest game of the week was Friday night. Indiana Pacers came to TD garden. They won with a half second left to go. Thanks to Kyrie Irving in overtime. Wasn't no, it wasn't in overtime. It was the fourth quarter. What a game. What? It was absolutely crazy. Again, the Celtics started Aaron Baines and Al Horford next to each other, which makes a lot of sense. It really does. Al Horford can guard Thaddeus Young. Thaddeus Young's maybe a little too quick, but Aaron Baines can cover miles Turner. And it's, it's crazy to to think about because the Celtics are nineteen and five when Aaron Baines plays fifteen minutes or more, and then when he plays fourteen minutes or less, they're twenty six and twenty six. So it makes a lot of sense. I'm sorry, they're twenty six, 26 I forgot the, I forgot to calculate the Nets game, and I think he only played he played seventeen minutes in there So yeah, the Celtics are nineteen and six. Look at this math on the math on the fly. The Celtics are 19 and 6 when Aaron Baines plays 15 minutes or more. That's that's pretty good. So I understand why Aaron Baines needs to start. He should start against the Pacers, but that doesn't mean he should be starting against every single team in the playoffs. Because if you put him up against the Nets, I mean uh, the Bucks in round two, if the Celtics do make it that far, you you can't have Baines and Horford out there with Giannis because they can go super. Super small. If Brooke Lopez is out there, sure. If it's Brooke Lopez, Giannis, sure. I I. I can deal with that. But Aaron Baines, like, if the 76ers and the Celtics end up playing each other in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals, if, 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 you can't have Aaron Baines out there because the the 76ers could go super athletic for their starting lineup. You know, like, you would have Simmons, Redick, Harris, Butler and Embiid. You put Horford on Embiid. Who you you can't put Aaron Baines on Tobias Harris or Jimmy Butler or Ben Simmons or J.J. Redick. It, it just doesn't work out. But for the Pacers series, I understand why it makes a lot of sense and it did work out. There's absolutely no doubt about it. He ended up with 13 points and 13 boards. He had one nice little dunk, little posterized dunk, a Miles Turner with the left hand. It was Aaron Baines played great in this game and it showed why he's needed in the starting lineup for this specific matchup. It made a lot of sense. And I thought the Celtics did a great job of Miles Turner overall. He he I really thought he was going to kill him on the boards. He didn't. And he the one of the biggest issues with Miles Turner, I think, is he's very good at pick and pop, not the pick and roll to the basket. And Aaron Baines isn't the best defender when it comes to pick and pop. You saw that with Jokic against the Nuggets. You can see that um against Brook Lopez with the Bucks, and you can see it with Miles Turner. If Miles Turner can stick a couple threes off of pick and pop, that's a problem because Aaron Baines can't recover quick enough. So that's the issue. Yes, he's physical, yes he's good on defense, but if you take Aaron Baines outside like the free throw line, he's not a really good defender and he's not quick enough to Recover off a pick and roll or a pick and pop. So that's why it's a little nerve wracking having him in the starting lineup, or at least when Miles Turner is out there. But I thought they did a great job of Miles Turner throughout that entire game. He, like, Miles Turner is so important to the Indiana Pacers now that Victor Oladipo isn't there. He's technically their second best player. You could argue Bogdanovich is their second best player, but I'd rather take Miles Turner over Bognanovich any day of the week. And he was minus four, Miles Turner. Yeah, he got a double double, but whatever. But I was expecting him to have like twenty and fifteen. But he didn't. So it was huge. But the Celtics, the the reason why I think this game was so close was because Bognanovich had such a good game. He I think he was like four seven from three, maybe like was he six of eight, maybe seven of nine from the line? And that's how the Pacers win a lot of games. If he's on, watch out, lights out. Morris and Tatum and Brown, they did terrible jobs like coming around screens, not putting his hands up, giving him too much space to shoot. You got to get right up in his grill like hand, like literally the definition of a hand in the face. Like I'm putting a hand in my face right now and it's very uncomfortable and I'm just doing a podcast. Can you imagine trying to shoot a basketball? It's absolutely unbelievable. So if the Celtics can come off of picks better when he tries to curl around or I mean he has a very slow but effective step back jumper and it worked well for him but the Celtics just have to control that and if the Celtics can control that and control the way that they did Miles Turner I think the Celtics can really beat this Pacers team in five or six games only if they get home court though if they don't get home court I'm obviously going to change my opinion about it a little bit but couple negative things about this game. Yes, I know the Celtics won. Yes, I know it was very important because now they have the season series lead, etc., etc. But Terry Rozier didn't really have a great day. He didn't make a shot. He did not make one single shot. But he did have five assists. So that was nice to see. He knew his shot wasn't falling, so he wanted to distribute. So I thought that was good. But Terry Rozier, folks, (laughs) I would love to know how many people are still fans of Terry Rozier because they can't be a lot. The whole Scary Terry thing was cool, but I'm trying to, I'm, I'm pausing here a little bit just because I'm trying to figure out the best words to, like, he's been a ghost this year. Like, I hate that I just said Scary Terry and then brought up a ghost, but, I mean, it's true. He's nowhere to have been found. Sure, he has a couple nice games, a couple 20-point games, a couple 15-point games. Sure, it's been cute and adorable, but you can't trust Terry Rozier going into the playoffs, can you? I know I can't. And you shouldn't be able to either. He sucks right now. He really and truly does. And there are times where he tries to play hero ball too much. But the person who played hero ball way too much in this game was Kyrie Irving. Especially in the fourth quarter. And borderline, it got annoying. There was like five or six possessions where Kyrie, I'm pretty sure, was the only guy in the court. He didn't care about anyone else. And it got annoying. And I understand... Kyrie has been clutch for the Celtics at times this year, keyword at times. He wasn't very clutch a couple weeks ago against the Hornets and he missed a couple game winners last year. But I also understand, you know, Christmas day, the Raptors game in January or November or whenever the hell it was. I understand he has been clutch at times, but Kyrie Irving in this game was not clutch in any way, shape or form. Yes, I understand he hit that layup at the buzzer. It was a very nice play set up by Brad Stevens. It was a nice ball fake by Kyrie to get to the hoop. But he has to realize, maybe after two or three possessions, if it's not working for him, guess what? You got Al Horford. Most likely you'll have Jalen Brown out there. You'll probably have Marcus Smart out there. Other guys can create. Maybe you pass the ball off, come off a curl, Maybe do a backdoor cut. Something along those lines. You don't have to dribble, 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 turn around to jumper. You just don't need to do that. Okay? That's for Jason Tatum because that's all that he's done this season. And by the way, speaking of that, very interesting quote the other day by Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce said that him and Kevin Garnett were talking about how Paul Pierce should mentor Jason Tatum because he doesn't think that Jason Tatum gets to the line enough. No shit. No shit. Yeah. Jason Tatum can get to the line five or six more times a game or just even six times a game and get that free throw percentage. I mean, he's a good free throw shooter, so get that free throw percentage a little bit higher, and next thing you know, Jason Tatum's having, you know, instead of 17 points, he's having 23 points. That will make a world of a difference. A world of a difference. Not only for Jason Tatum and the rest of his career, also on all-star numbers, contracts, you name it, but it's also better for the Boston Celtics, and that's needed. So, hey, Paul Pierce, get it done, bud. Get it done. All right, let's get into this Nets game. The Nets destroyed the Celtics, one ten to ninety six. No Horford, nor or Kyrie, and I and I get it. Your two best players are out, but man, no one showed up for this game except for Daniel Tice, who played very very well. Daniel Tice was fantastic in this game. What was his final numbers? Because it's that impressive. I know numbers aren't everything, but Daniel Tice was really, really good in this game. What was his final numbers at? Daniel Tice, 7-9 and nine from the field in 20 minutes. He shot 77% from the field, 16 points, 4 boards, 2 assists. That's not a bad game from Daniel Tice, especially since he was a backup center with Aaron Baines being the starter and playing 17 minutes and was a minus 9 with only 3 points. That's here or there. But what I noticed a lot in this game, and I really didn't like to see it, but... I noticed a lot that players just didn't want their teammates to succeed. There were times where Jason Tatum would have the ball, he'd be dribbling, dribbling, and Jalen Brown would be wide open yelling for the ball. And Tatum just didn't pass it to him, and Tatum dribble, 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 contested jumper, and missed it. But at the same time during this season, Jalen Brown has done the same thing. Same thing with Marcus Morris. He could have made an extra pass to Jalen or Jason or Shemmy or whoever, and it just doesn't happen. And that shit needs to stop. It needs to stop real quick because Jalen could have 20 a night. Tatum could have 20 a night. Marcus Morris could have 15 a night if they all wanted to see each other succeed. I swear to God, last year was like the worst thing to happen to the Celtics. And it sucks because last year was so much fun. Making these conference finals, game seven against LeBron, chance to go to the finals. And it like destroyed him because Jalen Brown's like, I'm not passing to you, Gordon Hayward. I'm the one that got him to Game Seven. I'm the one that fasted, and Jason Tatum's like, "Screw you, Jalen. I'm a starter. You're a bench guy. You're not taking away my my shine." And it just sucks. It really does. And it I I noticed it a lot, and it's in this Nets game. I really and truly did. And one of the other things that I noticed about this Nets game is the Celtics have a terrible time. A terrible time. I don't know if it's Brad. I don't know if it's the assistants, I don't know if it's the players, but when one player starts going off against the Celtics like Kemba Walker does or James Harden, or in this game, D'Angelo Russell, again, every third quarter against the Celtics this year, D'Angelo Russell has just gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He's, He's been unbelievable. There's no doubt about it. The Celtics just can't control it. They don't know how to stop it. And I don't know why. They need to be able to stop it. Because if they can't stop it, there's much better players than D'Angelo Russell in the NBA that will go off and destroy the Celtics, especially in the playoffs. Like, you don't think Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons or I'm trying to Kawhi Leonard or Kyle Lowry, you know, I could go on for days about better players than D'Angelo Russell. And listen, this isn't a shot at D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell is having an incredible season. He's the reason why the Nets are going to be making the playoffs. He deserves an all-star bid like he did. I get all that. But... You got to be able to control it, and it it doesn't help when you have a terrible, miserable, atrocious, garbage-like defender like Terry Rozier. My God, has anyone ever seen someone play such poor defense ever, like ever, like ugh. He just sucks. He can't fight through a screen. He goes under when he should go over a screen and then he goes over when he should go under. It's brutal. It's gross. It's terrible. Ugh. It drives me nuts. He I I said it a couple of weeks ago, he can't cover a statue. He can't. I guarantee you. If he went up to one of those people like in Las Vegas, you know, that like look like a statue, you know that they'll stand there for like 5 hours and not blink. I mean, that's got to hurt your eyes, right? Like, if you don't blink for that long period of time. But anyways, but those, like, people that, like, dress up in gold and they literally look like a statue, I bet you Terry Rogier couldn't stand in front of them. I bet you he couldn't. They'd go buy him. I don't know how, but they'd find a way because Terry Rogier is that bad of, of a defender. He really and truly is. And you know how I talked about in the Cavs game Jason Tatum and how well he played? And how he wanted the ball. And I understand, before the Nets game, Jason Tatum was a little sick. And I get that. But he just had no fight in him in this game. He just didn't want the ball. And I just want Jason Tatum to want the ball. I feel like that's his next big step. To be to have that killer instinct. And maybe that's what Paul Pierce was talking about. To attack the rim. And maybe that's why he needs that killer instinct. Because Paul Pierce had it. No doubt about it. And I'm not being biased because this is a Celtics podcast. But Paul Pierce had no problem attacking the basket getting fouled throwing a dunk on someone tatum's so athletic he's so long he needs to attack the rim and he's such a good free throw shooter so i'd rather have you get hit on the arm miss a you know miss a layup than have you take 22 dribbles and take a step back contested and brick it that's just just what what i want to do it it it's just i know i just stuttered there like but It just makes so much sense if Jason Tatum would just have that killer instinct, and he doesn't. But you know who does have that killer instinct that probably shouldn't have that killer instinct is Marcus Morris. There is no way that Marcus Morris, I don't care who's out. I don't care if Kyrie's out. I don't care if Horford's out. Gordon Hayward had the most shots on the team. 12 shots. Second, Marcus Morris. That should not happen. He should not have more shots than Jason Tatum. He shouldn't. And listen, stand by your man Marcus Morris. I'm here for it. I've said it from day one this year. He's going to be a very important part to this team. And I understand that he had a slump. <laughs> you know, he, I was trying to find the best word to say for it, but he had a slump in March, no doubt about it. But he's gotten better. He really and truly has. And I'm not joking because it's April Fool's Day. I think Marcus Morris has gotten better over the last couple of weeks. Not great, like he was at the beginning of the year. But he's he's an important part to this team. But he shouldn't be taking... a the second most shots, he shouldn't. And and remember, this hasn't happened. A, this isn't like the first time it's happened. It's it's happened a lot. Jason Tatum, if the Celtics believe in this kid so much, then he needs to be taking more shots than Marcus Mars. Simple as that. Case closed. All right, let's preview the upcoming four games this week for the Boston Celtics tonight at home, seven thirty, TD Garden against the Miami Heat. Wednesday. in Miami against the Miami Heat. Friday, 8 p.m. on the road against the Pacers. And then Sunday, 7.30 at home, the last home game of the season for the Boston Celtics against the Magic. This will be the last time that Dwayne Wade plays at TD Garden tonight. Now, as much as I dislike D. Wade for what he did to Rajon Rondo, that dirty play where he uh, dislocated his elbow. Do you guys remember that? They both went for the loose ball. It was kind of like a dirty play. As much as I dislike that he did that, and part of the whole, you know, big three with LeBron and Chris Bosh and all that, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and you have to respect him. I mean, 17 seasons, he's made $196 million in contract money. I think he's like a 12 or 13 times All-Star. He's been elected to the NBA, um, all NBA teams, like seven or eight times. He's even been on the all NBA team defense. Like, I didn't, I, I was looking that up, and I was like, oh, that's pretty impressive, You know, his performance in the 2006 NBA Finals against the Mavs was bananas. Absolutely bananas. It was so good. It was so, so good. Yes, I know Shaq was on the team, but, like, it was unbelievable what Dwayne Wade did. And he deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'll miss seeing him twice a year. You know, usually the heat come twice a year. But Dwayne Wade is... A vital vital part of the miami heat organization but the real question about dwayne wade is he's been doing that jersey swap this year who is going to get his jersey marcus morris already got it and terry rogier does it go to Kyrie? and then what about wednesday does it go to horford who knows well we'll have to figure that out but the miami heat they're currently like i like i said earlier they're the ac they're half game up in the magic and gorgon drogic is back he is an all-star he's a very very good player and with a bench of Whiteside and D. Wade, that's not too shabby either. Because Dwayne Wade off the bench, Whiteside off the bench, those are two very good players. I refuse to talk about Kelly Olenek, as we all know. I don't like him. I thought he sucked here, minus that Game 7 performance against the Washington Wizards in the playoffs. But the important thing here is, according to a report in, by the Miami Herald on Saturday, was it Friday or Saturday, whichever day you like better, you can pick, they will not have Justice Winslow or Josh Richardson. That's key. Because Josh Richardson's one of those guys that can go off that I talked about that the Celtics won't be able to control. And Justice Winslow can cover any position. He's a hell of a defender, and I'm not being biased because he went to Duke, even though he won a national championship. But those two guys not being around for the Heat makes this a, I don't want to say an easier game for the Celtics because I don't want to jinx them, but just a a more enjoyable matchup for the Celtics, if you will. Like, seriously. Now, the two teams have played twice this year. Once on January 10th, the Heat won at home 115-99, to and the Celtics allowed them to shoot 46% from three, 47% from the field. Kyrie had 26, Tatum had 19, Horford had 16, and Morris had 17, and they lost. <sighs> Unbelievable. Aaron Baines did not play in that game, just so everyone knows, because if I know... I basically just mentioned the new, you know, the new starting lineup, but Baynes did not play. And then the most recent time that these two that these two teams played was January 21st at the Garden. Celtics won 107 to 99, and the starters played so well in this game. At one point, the Celtics were up 22 points, and then Brad Stevens brought in the bench and kept them in too long. They cut it down, and luckily, the Celtics won 107 to 99. It was one of those games where you're like, Brad, call a timeout. Brad, call a timeout. (laughs) Brad, why haven't you called a timeout? And eventually called a timeout. And it worked. But this Heat team, pretty good. Not a great matchup for the Celtics, but obviously without Justin Winslow or Josh Richardson is key. At least Monday night. Wednesday night, both of those guys could be back at home. They'll still be fighting for a playoff spot. It's not going to be some late season type game. Like if you're in the one seed and this team's fighting the eighth seed, you just take a couple days off. It's not going to be like that. Celtics have to kind of flip the switch now, maybe at least put their hand on the switch. Maybe not, you know, flick it up, but at least have your hand on it, be ready to go with it. Because Friday night is the big game. Friday night, 8 p.m. in Indiana against the Pacers. Everything that worked last Friday has to work this Friday you got to control Turner, keeping your eye out for Bogdanovich. Sabonis didn't have a huge game. I thought the Celtics did a good job with him as well. They were physical with him. He doesn't like when teams are physical. Wesley Matthews got hurt earlier in the game last week. I think he, like, tweaked an ankle or banged someone's knee, and he was out. But he's a sharpshooter, and he could definitely ruin the Celtics' day. So keep an eye out on him. But don't let someone like TJ Leaf off the bench. Like, TJ Leaf. Like, what a terrible name. You can't let him score double digits. He played 12 minutes and scored like 12 points. You can't. You can't let him do that. So please, folk, like, the fact that you have to say, hey, try and control TJ Leaf just shows how bad the bench defense can be sometimes for this team. But they got to treat this game like a playoff game. They really do. Win this game, and I, I think if you win this game, you get home court. For real. If you can split against the way I look at it is like the Pacers and the Pistons are going to split the heat and the Celtics are going to split. So then it all comes down to this game because I'm not worried about the Wizards game and the magic game might be tough, but I'm not worried about the Wizards game at the end of the year. I'm not worried about the Pacers Hawks game at the end of the year. So if you guys end up in a tiebreaker with the Pacers, you're up three to one, win this game on Friday, win this game on Friday rebounding. You have to out rebound this team. Cut down on the turnovers. I think they got 12 or 13 turnovers. Maybe even 14 turnovers last Friday. Get that down to like 10. Make it happen. Make it happen. Win that basketball game. And then Sunday night, April 7th, 7.30, TD Garden. It's Duke night at the Garden. Woohoo! First 5,000 people get a Kyrie bobblehead that walk in. Final home game of the regular season. They always give out cool giveaways and prizes and stuff. And if... You haven't been to a Celtics game this year, it's usually probably one of the cheaper tickets you should go. The Celtics have not beat the magic this year though. They've lost both times against them. 90-93 in October, which is one of the worst basketball games I've ever watched, as like it was borderline, like really bad before like post Kevin Garnett, Jason Terry, Paul Pierce Nets trade. like real bad. It just wasn't enjoyable. Both teams couldn't shoot the ball for the life of them. They was so sloppy. It just sucked. And then if you guys remember, remember last year G- uh, in January when Gordon Hayward passed the ball to Jason Tatum in the corner versus Kyrie Irving who was streaking down the court and the Celtics lost 105-103? to 103? Yeah, that was against the Magic. And the Celtics should have won that game. Sure, could have the pass gone to Kyrie. Yeah, maybe. But he- Gordon passed to Jason Tatum and that's okay. It happens, but, you know, you saw on TV afterwards, like, Kyrie was yelling at Gordon, and people really thought that's when the team was going to really, like, go on a downward spiral, and that's fine, but they didn't. Well, I mean, kind of, but not not too bad of a downward spiral, but all season long, I have said the Celtics suck against athletic bigs, and guess what? That's the Orlando Magic, in a nutshell. Athletic bigs, Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, Nikola Vujicic, I love saying that, Nikola Vujicic, Will be those three guys will be a problem. This is one of those games you have to team rebound. Everyone has to be involved. Kyrie's going to need to get one of his 10-rebound games. Terry Rozier is going to have to get one of his 6 or 7-rebound games. That's right, those are both guards. Those guys have to rebound everyone. Horford, Baines, Tatum, Moore, Smart, Brown, you name it, everyone's got to rebound in this game. These guys are really good. Now, this is a game where Terry Rogier, if he needs some confidence going into the playoffs, this is the game where he does it because the magic just, and yes, I'm, you hear me sniffling. I'm emotionally upset about how bad Terry Rogier has been this year, but the magic just signed Michael Carter Williams. Michael Carter Williams has been thrown around the NBA more than probably the amount of times a father and son play catch when the kid's like eight, eight or nine years old. He has just been like, sign for us for a couple of weeks. See you later. Sign for us for a couple of weeks. See you later. So Terry Rozier, should destroy Michael Carter Williams. Okay? Thanks. Make it happen, Terry Rozier. Make it happen. The last thing I have to say about the Orlando Magic is, hey, Terrence Ross and Evan Fournier, please don't get hot because you guys are very streaky shooters, and once you guys get going, you guys can't get going. So that means someone like Marcus Smart has to control Evan Fournier, and someone like Jalen Brown needs to control someone like Terrence Ross. Cool? Great? Love it will be a tough game but it will be a much easier game if you can beat the pacers on friday i really cannot stress that enough you have to win the pacers game on friday okay Whew. all right final part of the podcast of course is the banner banter investigation so hey big t mup my good old pal hit the music we now interrupt this podcast to bring you a very special banner banter investigation celtics unit report Okay, this week's Banner Banter Investigation is about the late and great Reggie Lewis. Now, I say that because I'd like to dedicate this podcast to Reggie Lewis. Rest in peace. He is not actually your Banner Banter Investigation. It's just who I'm dedicating this segment and podcast to. Reggie Lewis was one of my favorite Celtics players of all time. He died way too young. I remember going to one of my first or second Celtics games with my dad, and he told me to keep an eye out on Reggie Lewis, Northeastern alum, hell of a basketball player. My dad went to Northeastern as well, and he was so much fun to watch. Like, you know when you're like little and someone's like, hey, watch this and that's all that you watch. Like, I didn't watch any other player but Reggie Lewis. I didn't care if Reggie Lewis didn't have the ball or not. I just kept an eye on him and I loved Reggie Lewis. He was so much fun to watch, and it's absolutely terrible what happened to him. So rest in peace to Reggie Lewis. And Reggie Lewis was number thirty five. This is episode thirty five of the Banner Banter Podcast. This is now our 35th Banner Banter Investigation. And the first player to ever wear the number 35 for the Boston Celtics was Paul Silas. Slash. Paul Silas, not Cyrus. Paul Silas. He played in the NBA from 1960 to 1980. He played over 1,250 games, 11,000 points, 12,000 boards, 2,500 assists. And then he coached from 1980 to 2012. So what, that's a 16-year playing career, 22 years coaching, like, I'm sorry, 32 years coaching, so literally almost 50 years being part of the NBA. Absolutely incredible. He was the head coach for five different teams from 1980 to 2012, but technically only three. And let me explain. So he coached the San Diego Clippers, no longer exists, but they were back in the day. He coached the first two years of LeBron for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then he coached the Charlotte Hornets. The New Orleans Hornets. And the Charlotte Bobcats. Which technically are all the same organization. He he, he went to Charlotte. He went to New Orleans. And then went back to Charlotte when they changed it to the Bobcats. Which is one of the stupidest things of, I've ever seen in the NBA. But yeah. He, he was an assistant coach for a lot of other teams too. But he head coached five different teams. But technically three. If, if you actually think about it that way. So. Where did he start his, his play? I always try and mention that because I always think it's cr- crazy to see where these type of NBA all-time greats like Paul Silas actually went. He went to Creighton. That's where, like, Doug McDermott went. Dougie McBuckets. And he was drafted by the St. Louis Hawks in 1964. I'll be honest. I've heard of the St. Louis Hawks. But that's about it. I don't know anything about them. I don't want to know anything about them because they don't exist. And maybe someday St. Louis will get a basketball team, but probably not. It doesn't seem like a basketball city unless Nelly and the St. Lunatics want to buy a team. But he was actually number 35 playing at Creighton, which is obviously why he picked number 35 when he played for the Celtics. And his number is actually retired in Creighton's gym, wherever that is. Where is Creighton? I'm going to look that up right now. So please hold. Oh, it's in Nebraska. Okay. Anyways, moving on. He won three championships, two with the Celtics and one with the Seattle Supersonics. Shout out again to my buddy Big T, biggest Seattle Supersonics fan I know. He was a two-time NBA All-Star, and he was five-time All-NBA defense. Very, very impressive. So... How did he become a member of the Boston Celtics? Well, he was traded, so when he was originally drafted by the St. Louis Hawks, he was traded five years after he got drafted to the Phoenix Suns for Gary Greger. What a name, huh? I feel like it should be Gary Gregory, but it's Gary Greger. And then three years after that, he was traded for Charlie Scott. And Charlie Scott is actually who we did our 13th banner banter investigation about back on episode 13. Look at that. Circle of life. He played here for three years. And this is crazy. In his 47 playoff games, if you were to base his stats per 100 possessions, he averaged 11 points and 15 rebounds per game. That's insane. And then this is the craziest part about Paul Silas, and I'll, and I'll leave it to you at this. Paul Silas, in his four years playing for the Boston Celtics, he got 1,000 and 47 offensive rebounds in four seasons. Al Horford in his three seasons in the Boston Celtics uniform, 312. So literally (laughs) 700 plus more offensive rebounds than Al Horford. And sure, he has an extra season, but you don't get 700 offensive rebounds in one season. It's absolutely crazy when you actually think about that. So like as much as I love Al Horford and I believe Al Horford's very good and he's better than average, but the fact that you only have 312 offensive rebounds in three seasons, but Paul Silas has 1,047 in a time where the league was much more physical, absolutely banana land. Absolutely crazy. But that's it of this week's version or version or... Yeah, whatever. Yeah, this week's version of the Banner Banter Podcast. Episode number 35 is in the books. Thank you guys so much for listening. Whether it's on Spotify, Google Play Music, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, you name it. Send me an email if you'd like, ban- at Podcast at gmail.com. Find me on the Twitter machine, at bannerbanter 18, or Facebook and Instagram, at Banner Banter Podcast. Big game on Friday night. Remember, 8 o'clock, on the road against Indiana. We need that four seed. Toodles and noodles, X's and O's. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.